Every single death is the direct responsibility of Hamas. It's the first time in history any army can force their enemy to kill their own civilian population. They don't just want to kill as many Jews as they can, but they want as many of their own people dead as possible. Part of this plan is not just to attack Israel, but to attack the West in general. You're not Jewish, you're not Israeli. Why are you doing this? Because when I was a child, I was taught to know right from wrong. Being anti-Israel, is being anti-Semitic. This is not just Israel's fight, it's all of our fight. Colonel Kemp, thank you so much for sitting down with me. We met a few years ago. I learned a lot from you and you have more to teach me in the world. So I look forward to launching into this discussion. For those who don't know you, can you just describe your career? Yeah, well, thank you very much for inviting me to PragerU, one of my um, favorite organizations in the world. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. I, I, I was in the British Army for 30 years, and during, I, I basically left school one day in high school and joined the Army the next day. And uh, I served in Northern Ireland, where we had a 30-year-long terrorist campaign in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in both of the two wars that have been going on there in recent years, in the Balkans with the United Nations peacekeeping force there, and in other places around the world. And after I finished my fundamental military service. I worked for about five, six years, still in the army for um, the Joint Intelligence Committee, which is part of the Prime Minister's office in the UK. And my focus then was on international terrorism. What brought you to Israel? I, I remember hearing you give a very interesting speech to the United Nations. What led to that speech? Well, I, I worked very closely with um, Israeli intelligence services and military services during my time in the British government and the British army, and got to know a great deal about Israel over that time. And Israel was extremely beneficial and helpful to the UK, particularly in my experience, particularly in providing intelligence that saved British people's lives. And the same applies, of course, to many other countries around the world. Um, and I, I, after I left the army, I, I, I saw the conflicts going on between Israel and Gaza and other conflicts affecting Israel. Um, and I saw all the lies that were being told in the media, in the universities, in the United Nations and elsewhere. And I had the ability from my own experience and from my knowledge and deep knowledge of Israel to, um, to, to, to counter that, to tell the truth about Israel rather than just accept all the lies. And so I spent quite a lot of time over, over the many years now um, spending time in Israel, meeting Israeli soldiers, Israeli commanders, politicians, uh, and, and with my own eyes, viewing Israeli military action on the front lines. Why are you so interested in Israel? Are you Jewish or do you have like Israeli ancestry? Or, I mean, I guess the, the obvious question is, are the Israelis paying you to be a mouthpiece for them? Well, I, I, I get accused all the time of being in the pay of Mossad on social media. Um, Mossad's a very effective intelligence service, but the biggest problem with Mossad is the accounts department, because so far I haven't had a check from Mossad. <laughs> but no, I don't get paid by Israel. I, I, um, I have no uh, formal association or relationship with Israel at all. I, I consider myself to be completely independent and objective. Um, but, but I do believe that, that Israel's story uh, is, is extremely important to all of us, not only because there is gross injustice affecting Israel. There's so many lies, so much propaganda going back decades, which persuade most people, I think, I would say, or many people anyway in the world, that Israel is actually the, the root of all evil in the world. And that's reflected in many of the hugely biased 
anti-Israel resolutions and debates in the United Nations. Uh, and I, I believe if I'm in a position, which I am, to, to try and, and tell the truth in the face of these lies, it's my duty to do so. But also Israel um, is, is basically on the same fight as the Western civilization. Mm. We face the same enemy, we face the same threats. Uh, and I think, you know, personally, I, I have a great interest in the future of Western civilization and Western democracy. And I can play a role in helping Israel and helping people understand uh, the, the threats facing Israel because they, they face us all as well. This is not just Israel's fight, it's all of our fight. Please forgive me if it feels like some of my questions are confrontational. I just, I really want to get to the bottom line and to the truth. And I know the same thing um, pertains to the audience's reaction to to your answers. You said that you you are in a position to talk about Israel. Mm. Um, is it because you've, you've been there, you served there, you read about it? Like, what do you think puts you in this position? How do you know better than anybody else sitting here in the West? Yeah. A, a very good question. I, I, I mentioned my military experience, which gives me an ability. I mean, m many other people have this ability, nothing unique, gives me an ability to understand conflict in a way that perhaps most people don't. And the kind of conflict that Israel is engaged in, in Gaza, for example, today, uh, and, and elsewhere, including in, you know, on the Lebanese border, this is exactly the same type of conflict as we were engaged in, in Afghanistan, Iraq, and in Syria and other countries. Um, so that's the first thing that I, I have that um, depth of experience to to be able to apply and understand what's going on in Israel. And secondly, I've spent so much time there. And, and just recently, I was I spent three months in Israel from a couple of days after the massacre on the seventh of October. Um, and in that time, I, I, I spoke to many many IDF soldiers and commanders, to political leaders, uh, and I visited the front lines. I was inside Gaza on a number of occasions. Mm -hmm. I went into the tunnels in Gaza. Um, and I saw with my own eyes exactly what the IDF is doing. And that, that kind of experience puts me in a position where I can say it is not true that Israel is deliberately killing, deliberately targeting innocent civilians. It is simply not true. I wouldn't be able to say that, as so many people um, say the opposite, if I hadn't seen it myself. What is the West possibly the East as well, but particular here in America and Europe, what are we getting wrong about the Israeli-Gazan conflict? Well, it's a terrible conflict. Of course it is. It's a terrible conflict. Um, and it has resulted in a very large number of deaths of civilians inside Gaza, as well as uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad terrorists and other terrorists in Gaza. So it is a terrible conflict. And I can understand why people looking at their screens whether it's on mainstream or social media, and seeing the death and suffering of civilians, I can understand why people are absolutely horrified by that. But the reality is, all of this, every single death, and I include the deaths of Hamas fighters, I include the deaths of Palestinian civilians, of Israeli soldiers, of Israeli civilians, every single death is the direct responsibility of Hamas, not of Israel, of Hamas. Hamas is trying to maximize the deaths on both sides. They don't just want to kill as many Jews as they can. And that's laid down in their charter as well as the words of their leaders and in their actions that we can observe. But they want as many of their own people dead as possible. Not their fighters, they want their civilians dead. Because they know that by doing that, by publicizing it, by exaggerating it, which they do, that will bring down pressure and vilification, hatred, delegitimization, 
against Israel. That's their objective. That's what they're trying to do. And meanwhile, Israel is trying to minimize the deaths in Gaza. They're trying to minimize the deaths of their own civilians, of course, that are subject to barrage after barrage of rocket attack. They're trying to minimize the death of Palestinian civilians. They're trying to be very precise in their targeting to kill as many of the terrorists as they can while preventing the deaths of innocent civilians. This is what people, it, too, too often people cannot understand. You're saying that essentially the Gazans who elected Hamas, right, they elected Hamas to lead them, are jeopardizing their own lives. Right. Is that basically what you're saying? They're using their own people as human shields? Absolutely. The, the, Hamas want their own. It's the, it's the first time, if you call Hamas an army, which I don't really, but let's say for the sake of argument, it's the first time in history any army has deliberately tried to lure and force their enemy to kill their own civilian population. That's what they're trying to do. And yes, the people of Gaza elected Hamas many years ago, and since then Hamas has ruled with a rod of iron over Gaza, um, a, a really terrifying, oppressive regime against the people there. But partly because of that, but as, uh, due to other factors as well, and, and mainly due to, to decades and decades of anti-Israel indoctrination and education in the, in the UN-run schools in Gaza, Hamas enjoy a vast level of support among the people of Gaza. Although I think that perhaps when, when the smoke settles and when the dust settles, I think that might change a little bit and people realize what Hamas has brought to them, death, destruction, horrors that they never imagined brought by Hamas on them. And I think that will help perhaps some people to, to, to revisit things. It's not going to change the hatred of Israel among many of them, but I think Hamas, we've already seen signs of Hamas being rejected by people inside Gaza. Have you seen such ideology anywhere around the world? I mean, you, you talk about how you have expertise from, from other places where you've served, this idea that people would, I guess, sacrifice their own families, their own children, their own, their own bodies for the sake of winning a war or killing others? It's a pretty common terrorist tactic, actually. Um, and I, I experienced that in Northern Ireland, for example, against a completely different type of terrorist. But the difference is with uh, Irish terrorists uh, and, um, and organizations like Hamas is they use the, hu the civilian population as human shields. They hide behind them and they don't really care too much if their own civilians die. But Irish terrorists didn't want their own. So they were, part of their tactics wasn't to get the British army, for example, to kill Irish civilians. It was just an incidental uh, consequence of it. Whereas Hamas, as I said before, they deliberately set out to try and get Israel to kill their civilians. And that has applied in other conflicts as well. For example, in Afghanistan, um, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, other terrorist groups in Afghanistan and in Iraq were adept at using human shields. But again, they didn't necessarily want the enemy, the British, the Americans, other allies to kill their civilians, but they didn't mind if they did. And they also like Hamas tried to exploit that. But they use schools, hospitals, mosques, other protected sites to fight from, to store ammunition in, to set up as command and control centers. Critics of Israel would say that people who lived in Gaza have been experiencing life of an open-air prison, and they feel like there's nothing else they can do but jeopardize their own life, put their, you know, sacrifice their children in order to free themselves from 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 this life this this 
terrible prison that they're living in, what else they could do if not to use their own bodies? They have no other resources to speak out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's a common view. And it's the it, it, that is the product of Hamas and Hamas supporters' propaganda, because it's simply not true. In 2005, Israel withdrew from Gaza, left, basically they set up a two-state solution. So you had Gaza self-governing without any Israeli presence, without any Israeli, without any Jews living there, without any IDF presence. And, and instead of trying to turn that into a flourishing, prosperous state, which it could have done, because it would have had enormous assistance from Israel and from the Western world and the Arab world, they decided to turn, Hamas decided to turn the Gaza Strip into a base for attacking Israel. And they started very soon after they took control, they started firing bar barrages of rockets at, at Israeli civilians. They dug tunnels underneath Gaza, and with the, in some cases with the aim of bringing them out inside Israel to attack Israeli civilians. They've, they basically set it up as a war machine. And in light of that, Israel had no choice other than to impose a blockade on the border of Gaza, on the sea border, to prevent weapons to be used against it from being brought in and to prevent suicide bombers coming out of Gaza to attack Israeli civilians. So this is, and, and, and equally, something people forget as well is that Egypt, on the southern border of Gaza, did the same thing. Egyptians set up the same barriers as Israel had for the same purposes. Uh, and and it, so it's not, this is not a prison camp of, of Israel's making. If, if it is a prison camp at all, it's a prison camp of Hamas's making, because no country in the world could allow another state or entity on its borders to attack and just do nothing and let them oh, carry on attacking. It couldn't happen. And, and, and everything, all the terrible living conditions that Gazans have, lived, Gazans have lived in, which, by the way, were not universally bad, uh, were down to Hamas deciding to use this as a base for attack against Israel. So some would say that Israel pushed all these Palestinians into this corner, this small space called Gaza, where they don't have an airport and they don't have, you know, the same resources that other countries would have in order to basically flourish and land on their own feet. And so that has led people to get so angry and, and feel so desperate that all they could do was elect a government like Hamas whose role is to basically attack Israel. Israel would, would have played a major role, in my view, uh, to make sure Gaza did have an airport, did have a seaport, did flourish, if it hadn't been set, set up as a base for attack. So that's it, this is really pretty much the same thing I was saying before. Um, these, all of these people in a small area of, uh, of Gaza, the small area of Gaza, could have lived a very, very nice life, I'm, I'm sure they could have done, if they hadn't decided to adopt the, the course of terrorism. And, and linked to that is the uh, situation in Judea and Samaria, otherwise known as the West Bank. Mm -hmm. both, both Gaza and Judea and Samaria could have been flourishing states. A two, you could have had a two-state solution, but you can't have a two-state solution with uh, a territory that wants to attack you and you don't, you, you, you're not able to defend yourself against it. And you can't have a two-state solution with a people that don't want two states. The objective of Hamas, and equally the objective, not so openly spoken, of the Palestinian Authority of Fatah, the PLO, is the elimination of Israel. It's not a two-state solution. It is a one-state solution. And that state does not include Jews or the state of Israel.
Would you agree that Israel has stronger military might over Hamas? Israel is one of the strongest military powers in the world and certainly in the Middle East. And there's no, there's no question as to which is militarily dominant. But in this kind of what, what's known as asymmetrical warfare, mm. it's not necessarily tanks. It's not necessarily uh, artillery, aircraft, machine guns, which always have the upper hand. And we saw that in Afghanistan and in Iraq. We saw how much, how, how devastating the damage could be done with a, a, a more, shall we say, conventionally inferior military against mm. a, a very superior, the greatest military in the world, the United States military. Mm. But the other thing that people maybe don't always recognize is that Hamas, it's not just a group of people who kind of grab an AK-47 rifle and attempt to gun down some Israelis or, you know, they make a few homemade rocks. Hamas is supported with vast military resources and finance by is- Iran. Hamas, like Islamic Jihad in Gaza as well, these are proxies of Iran. Mm. So Israel, when it's fighting Hamas, actually is not fighting just Hamas, it's also fighting Iran. And it was Iran that had its hand behind the 7th of October massacres, and, and Iran that has, is, has its hand behind the intensive attacks that have been taking place from Lebanon into Israel in, in, in the last few months. So what is your response to the accusation against Israel that they're um, using excessive force and that there should be a proportionate response to the attacks? Well, I can I can tell you from my own extensive experience of Israel over the years, and particularly my direct experience in um, in, in the last few months, that Israel is not using excessive force. It's using very very major force, but that's not force that is kind of something they don't have to do. They have to use that in order to root out a threat to their own people. Uh, and, and they're very, very careful about how they use that force. Uh, the, they, they have very strict rules of engagement. They operate under the, the rules of war. And their response in each case is actually proportionate. The problem is with the word proportionality is people don't really understand what it means. It doesn't mean that you've got to have an equal number of deaths on each side. It means that un- under the laws of war, it means that you, you, you should not use force excessive for the military objective you need to achieve if civilians might die in the process. So all of these things, I mean, if you just look at, for example, at the, uh, the actions the IDF take, they have very good intelligence on the target. It's not perfect because nothing ever is right. on their targets and they focus on Hamas terrorist targets. They try to avoid civilian targets. They, they've tried to move civilians out of a combat zone by dropping millions of leaflets, by making millions of phone calls, sending millions of text messages, and, and, and not only indicating that people should leave an area under attack, but that they should, where they should go to, where they're going to be safer, and what route they should take. The, these measures are far greater than any other army has ever used in the history of warfare to try and protect the lives of innocent civilians in the combat zone. And at the same time, they've, they've been doing their best to get humanitarian aid into Gaza. Uh, and, and the current restrictions on humanitarian aid for Gazan civilians are not coming from Israel. Israel has basically opened the gates. It's, it's controlling and uh, checking stuff going in. But the restrictions on humanitarian aid today are those of the UN and aid agencies' capability of delivering it. So everyone points the finger at Israel and says, you're stopping it. It's not. They're not stopping it. They're letting it in. And both of those two things are major mitigating factors against this 
disgusting accusation of genocide that's being made by South Africa against Israel, mm -hmm. because a genocidal power does not try and prevent the deaths of innocent civilians. It does not try and feed civilians who are hungry. You mentioned the Iranians and their agenda using basically Hamas as proxies. I also know that you're part of an international group with other leaders, military leaders who are involved in, I guess, fighting this war of ideas or the propaganda. But I'd imagine that you are studying what is happening geopolitically around the world. How concerned are you about Iran? And what do you, what do you believe are the Iranians' aspirations? Is it only Israel? Is it the rest of the world? Why are they doing this? Iran wants to dominate the Middle East, and that's why Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries in the Middle East are so terrified of Iran, because they know that Iran has ambitions against them. And, and it's not just a theory that they've been, Iran has orchestrated attacks, for example, attacks by the Houthis from Yemen against Saudi Arabia and against the UAE. These are under the direction of Tehran. And, and what these Arab countries want, above all, is they want Israel to destroy Hamas, because that they recognize is a blow against Iran, which threatens them all. So they might say something else publicly, but countries like Egypt, Jordan, uh, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, other Arab countries, behind the scenes, they are rooting for Israel. In public, they're saying something different. But that's, you know, that, that's the, uh, the, the threat that, that the Middle East faces from Iran. And it's not just the Middle East as well. Iran has proxy organizations and terrorist cells around the world, including in the United States and in the UK, which are ready to carry out attacks and have attempted, and, and in some cases succeeded in attacks in our own countries. So the Israeli, I guess, Gazan war is almost a proxy war for these larger entities, the Iranians versus the Saudis or the Iranians versus the West. Is that kind of how you see it? Is that why people like you are involved in this organization. I'm like, I, I'm trying to understand why, what's the name of the organization that you're involved in? The Friends of it's called II? The Friends of Israel Initiative. Okay. And, and it's an organization that's made up of um, former heads of state, um, former cabinet ministers, uh, and former chiefs of staff and generals from around the world, um, chaired by the, Aust uh, the, the Canadian Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, former Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, and, and our objective really is to, to, to raise awareness and to raise understanding of not only the way that Israel fights and the way that Israel operates and to try and counter some of this anti-Israel lies and propaganda, but also to get people to recognize, as you rightly say, I think, that, that the, the, the threat against Israel is also a threat against all of us. And one, one other aspect of that threat that is, um, has surfaced and raised its head, I think, particularly in the last few months, is Jew hate, Jew hate around the world, often inspired by, by demonizing Israel and by projection, demonizing Jews everywhere. And, and I think this is a real danger to our society. And, and one of the targets of these, these campaigns of Jew hate uh, is, is not, it's not really so much Israel, it's, it's branded as Israel, but it's against the Jews in America, the Jews in Britain, the Jews in other European countries, in order to intimidate them 
not to support Israel because, of course, Jews in different Western countries are among the strongest, probably the strongest support of Israel. Mm. They need to try and undermine that. And that's why they're so active. Iranian-sponsored in many cases. They're so active on university campuses, at the United Nations, in high schools, uh, in human rights organizations, and so many other places. And, 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 and it's, I think it's, it's a, I would say it's an obligation on us all, not just Jews, but on people like me who are not Jewish, on our governments, to stand up against this and fight against it. Because not only is it demonizing uh, the Jews in our societies, it is also a direct attack on, on Western democracy. Uh, and, and it's deliberately so. It's not, it's, this is not kind of a byproduct of it. It's deliberately so. And, and I think we all have a duty to try and counter that. I recently attended an event with Club Z uh, in Los Angeles. I attended a, a, a conference of teenagers, high school students, who, are, um, who were preparing to try and counter and fight this, uh, this scourge of anti-Semitism disguised as anti-Israel action activism. And, uh, and, and these are kids aged between about 14 and 18 who are standing up themselves and fighting the fight. And to me, they're absolutely inspirational. The group that I spoke with, that I, that I met with, is called Club... Americans Club call it Club Z. We Brits call it Club Z. But it's, it means the same thing. But they were inspirational. I was inspired by watching these kids in the same way and talking to them in the same way as I'm always inspired by watching soldiers in battle. And it is kind of like a military campaign. Mm. I hope they're not going to get involved in having to deal with violence against them, but certainly countering the propaganda. And they serve as an example to all of us. We should all follow their example, these young kids' example of standing up for what's right. Yeah, it's a war of ideas, and and it's pretty scary. Do you think that being anti-Israel is is anti-Semitic. I mean, people separate that. They say, well, I have friends that are Jewish and I love Jews, but I don't think that Israel has the right to rob the land from the Palestinians, let's say. Yeah, people say all that stuff. But of course, you know, anyone who understands the reality knows that Israel has never robbed any land from any Palestinians. Of course, it's part of the, it's part of the propaganda campaign that's been going on since at least the 1960s mm. and possibly before that as well. Um, but the, the, the direct answer to the question that you asked me is anti, being anti-Israel is being anti-Semitic. You can be opposed to Israel's specific policies. You can be opposed to various other aspects of, of what Israel is and stands for in the same way as you can to the United States of America or Britain or other countries. But if you oppose Israel, if you oppose the existence of Israel, then that is anti-Semitic. It's the one Jewish state in the world. Why would you be opposed to the Jewish state because it's a Jewish state? You can oppose its policies. But if you say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, what you're saying, you're saying is the elimination of the Jewish state. And that's, that's what people chant. That's Hamas's motto. That is pure undiluted anti-Semitism spelt out in Hamas's charter, spelt out in Hamas's actions, which is supported by, in some cases unknowingly, but in many cases knowingly, supported by all these people on university campuses at the United Nations, in human rights organizations, and plethora of other places. We're about 30 minutes into this interview, and I bet you that the comments on YouTube and people watching uh, are something like, 
who is this Colonel Kemp? I bet you Jews are paying him to speak. And so I want to give you a chance to answer because I know the comments are already piling up. Is somebody paying you? Why are you doing this? You're not Jewish. You're not Israeli. Why are you doing this? This is obviously not in vogue. What you're saying is clearly not in vogue. Yeah, because when I was a child, I was taught to know right from wrong. And I was also taught that if I had the capability of standing up against things that were wrong, you know, for example, at school against bullies, and this is what this is, this is a bullying campaign against Israel. I have a responsibility to do that if I can. If I was walking down the street and I saw an old lady getting kicked to pieces on the ground, I'd go and help her. I, ha I couldn't just walk by with my eyes closed. And that's what this situation is. It's the same, very much the same sort of thing. And as to I'm being paid by Israel, I, I, I've been, I, as, I, as I mentioned, I've been in Israel for the last three months. No one has paid me a penny for doing that. I have never received a penny from Israel. I'm not in the pay of the Zionist entity. But I know what you're saying. And, and I've been accused in the United Nations by the Palestinian ambassador of receiving $50,000 from the Zionist entity for making a speech uh, supporting what Israel was doing, telling the truth about it, what Israel was doing. Um, but I, And I know what you're saying. And I'm going to get on my social media feed, I'm going to get exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. I get it every day. Who's paying you? Why are you doing it? Because people, many people out there, the haters, I think, mm -hmm. can't understand that any decent human being, if they have the power to do so, would stand up against what's wrong. Yeah, I'll also mention, I don't know if you know this, but there's something really interesting that I learned over the last few months, and that is there are at least 60,000 bots that have been created by the Iranians on social media. And so oftentimes when you or I will post something that is pro-Israel on social media, you'll see all these like free Palestine, flag, 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 yeah, flag. Yeah. A lot of these posts are not made by real accounts. Yeah. Apparently, over a year ago, the Iranians started planning this, and they actually mm. created 60,000, at minimum 60,000, that's how many they've been, they've been able to identify so far, fake accounts that go and post. And, and for over a year, mm. those accounts have been posting about all kinds of things. So Facebook and Instagram um, are having a hard time identifying these these fake accounts is fake. And, and so they're able to actually launch these kind of like social media attacks against influencers or people who are who are posting. It's a fascinating thing. And when you talk about how this war is not just bullets and tanks, but it's 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 social media, it's mental warfare, it's in our schools. We're wondering why we're seeing, you know, these actions take place mm -hmm. on campuses. This has been in the planning for a while. And, you know, my understanding is, is part of this plan is not just to attack Israel, but to attack the West in general. Um, and so I, I just thought you might find that interesting. I want to connect some of this, not just to the United States, but to your country, the UK. What are you seeing there? I mean, I just think London, I, I look at images from London, I see some of the I want to call it, I want to call them protests, but they look almost like riots to me. Yeah. Can you describe to me the environment in 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 the UK and and what are people saying about it? Yeah, and what we're seeing in the UK is is an enormous rise in Jew hate and an anti-Israel act activity. It's it was very predictable because the ground has been prepared for many many years now and we've seen it Every every time there is a conflict involving Israel, we see a rise of this. We don't see the same kind of 
rise of protests against the many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people killed in Syria or, or other countries in the region or elsewhere around the world. We don't see anything like that level of protest, but we do see it when Israel is involved because Israel has been portrayed through these decades of propaganda as being essentially the ultimate evil and people need to protest against it. Um, I think that the majority of people in the UK, I, I, I don't know this, I have no scientific measurement for this, but my sense is that the majority of people in the UK are right behind Israel. Um, the, the, vocal, the vocal minority are the ones that you see on the streets. They're the ones that are protesting. They're the ones that are, are de demanding the annihilation of Israel by chance like from the river to the sea. They're demanding violence against our own country as well as Israel by calling for jihad in Europe and for an intifada, which means a violent uprising. Uh, this, the, 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 but these people are a minority. Most people, I think, most decent, ordinary people in the UK and other countries, they understand the reality and they stick up for. They, they will. They they don't. You don't see them physically sticking up for it because mm -hmm. they, you know, they they don't want to necessarily bring down on themselves the kind of um, hatred and the social media action and all the other stuff that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think the majority are there or thereabouts, and that is despite despite the very heavy anti-Israel bias that we see in the UK in our broadcast media particularly, BBC, Sky News, ITV, Channel 4. These are the main four news stations in the UK. They are all heavily biased against Israel. Uh, and of course, on the university campuses, we see the same thing. We see professors, we see activists, many, many people being paid specifically to do this, stirring up hatred against Israel, against Jews. And the Jews are afraid of it. And, and understandably so. Many Jews that I know in England are thinking, actively thinking about packing up and leaving the country they've lived in all their lives because of the spread of Jew hate. And I, one thing I would say about this, I believe that it's the responsibility of our governments to actively oppose this measure. And one of the ways they can do that is to, uh, to, to make sure the truth is told about what is happening in Israel and Gaza and uh, other related conflicts in the Middle East. They were very effective, our government, certainly in Britain, very effective in explaining to the people of, this, of our country why they needed to stand up and support financially, militarily support Ukraine against mm -hmm. Russian aggression. They were very effective at that. I was in Ukraine just before I went to Israel this time, and I, I, I recognized the so many similarities, including um, the, the Iranian-supplied drones being fired by the Russians at the civilian population in Ukraine. And I then went to Israel and saw Iranian-supplied rockets being fired at the civilian population inside Israel. And the, 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 the government is willing, happy, and enthusiastically explaining why we have to stand up against aggression in, uh, in Ukraine but they are very much less effective in explaining that in relation to Israel. And I think they need to be, and it would make a difference. How would the groups that are calling Intifada in the UK, how are they speaking about the United States? Well, I think, I think you could fi you'd find, um, and it applies also, I think, to similar groups in the US, you find that those people who demand the destruction of Israel also are opposed to the United States. They, if, if the, a, a rule of thumb, I think, which is quite useful, is if in, it doesn't apply to everyone, but in many cases, if you hate Israel 
and you oppose Israel, you hate and oppose the United States of America as well. And of course, many people actually attack Israel because they see Israel as being a proxy of the United States. They can't attack the US. It's, you know, it's beyond all that. They can, they can attack it on social media. But you, you can be much more effective, I think, at attacking what is seen as, Israel, as the US proxy uh, in the Middle East, which is Israel, in, in, in these people's views. Possibly the hardest question, but final question, where do we go from here? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very good question, and it is a hard question. But I think in, if, if you're looking specifically at the Gaza conflict, I think Israel continues to wage this war, which is an absolutely essential existential war for Israel, continues to wage it until Hamas, as a threat, has been eliminated. Some people say that's not possible. I believe it is possible. And then Israel has to figure out what to do with the Gaza Strip after Hamas is gone. So that's the, the kind of immediate um, problem that is faced by, by Israel from this conflict. And I think that um, it's, going to need, it's going to need permanent Israeli security presence, the IDF, inside the Gaza Strip in the long term. Then, of course, and we, we haven't got time to get to it, but we then have the brewing conflict on the Lebanese border by the other Iranian proxy, Hezbollah. But in broader terms, where do we go? I think, um, I think it's just so important that um, decent people, people who do not have this Jew hate or Israel hate in their minds, take action. It can, the, the, this this uh, narrative, the anti-Israel narrative, is very, very strong, very strong. It's, it's almost unbeatable now after decades of being built up. But it can be beaten, but it can only be beaten if many more people see the truth, understand the truth, and are prepared to make a stand against it. And there's no sign that's about to happen, unfortunately. Um, But all I would say to anyone viewing this is, please, don't just accept the stuff you hear on Twitter, TikTok, or social media, some of the other mainstream media outlets, but dig into it yourself. Don't accept the... That what I consider to be the lies and propaganda, and then try and do something about it, whether that involves uh, writing to politicians or getting out on the streets and campaigning against the hate. But unless, until a much larger number of people do that than, than is evident at the moment, we're just, it's going to be descending. This whole situation is going to be getting worse and worse, in my view. Well, evil happens when good people don't fight. Uh, It's a pleasure hearing from you. Thank you. I admire your courage. Thanks for everything you do. And um, you're always welcome here at PragerU to share the truth. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.